This is the Life Church Podcast. For more messages, to watch our live stream, or to find other events, go to lifechurchnow.org. I want to just share a moment with you about missions. Missions is a big part of what we talk about here at Life Church. I remember, I, you know, I was like, I was 18 years old. I had just given my life to the Lord in this church, Memorial Assembly of God in Duncanville, Texas. And um, I didn't know. I grew up in a Catholic background, so I didn't really know too much about evangelical ministry or evangelical churches, Pentecostal churches for sure I didn't know anything about. And so... So I'm in this church, and, and, but I'm, I'm just, God had, had set me free because I had, I, my foundation was in everything else. And you know what? It's in many ways, that's where many of us are right now. Right now, there are so many people whose foundation has just crumbled. And so had mine. And I met Jesus Christ, and my life was changed. I was set free. So one day in that, in that church, one summer, 1982, I'm sitting in the church service when this uh, missionary comes through, Billy Burr. He's a missionary in, at that time, called Zaire. It's Congo now. And uh, he had been a missionary there for many years, a veteran mission. He started telling stories of, of what was going on in their ministry in Zaire and the miracles that would happen and how God was just changing people's lives. Uh, he told a story of going into a particular village and this village had never heard the gospel and they went in, they, they kind of spoke to the chief of the village and as uh, the chief, gave, you know, through a series of miracles, gave his life to Christ and then the entire village gave their life to Christ. Just pretty amazing stuff. And I sat there as this 18-year-old kid with eyes like this, just blown away by it. And while I was sitting in that service, I clearly remember sitting in that service and the Holy Spirit speaking to me and said, Rich, now is a time to go. Now is a time to go. Now, I was a freshman in college at that time, and so I, uh, and I had plans, okay? So I'm a new Christian. I don't really know a whole lot about this stuff. Maybe some of you are in the same place. Maybe the Holy Spirit's tugging your heart, challenging you, telling you now is the time for you to go. And so I didn't know how to handle this stuff. So I'm hearing this, now is the time to go, and I have these plans. My, you know, I had my foundation. My foundation was I'm going to become an engineer, I'm going to make a lot of money, and I'm going to drive a BMW. That, that was my plan, you know. <laughs> kind of dumb plan, but that was my plan back then. And the Holy Spirit began to tug me and said, now's the time to go. It took several years for me to respond to that, to understand it, to get what he was telling me to do. But now, 38 years later, I've lived this adventure. And it's been because God said, I want you to go. And the challenge for you and I this morning is, will you go? Will you go? We're going to read a familiar passage of scriptures. We, we know it as the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. <clears throat> it says, Jesus came and told his disciples. And he tells us, uses this word disciples here. That idea of disciples is sometimes is what, where, where it, lose mo- we, it loses most of us. Because we read this passage, we've heard this, and we think, well, yeah, that, that means super Christian, <laughs> Right? That means uh, Jesus is talking to that, that, that person that, that really, really, really reads the Bible a lot and prays a lot and is in. 
Or maybe Jesus, here at Disciples, he's talking to, to, you know, those people who, like Rich, Pastor Rich, who's kind of made this their, the vocation of their life. You know, that's who Jesus is talking about. But you have to understand, Jesus is talking, when he says Disciples, he's talking about any person who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, that's who he's talking to. He's talking to every single one of us. And so if you're here this morning, and you would say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian, then this verse is for you. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is telling them, go and multiply yourself. You're a disciple, go make more disciples. Teach Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, our mission statement here at Life Church is to create an atmosphere where people can become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's how we say it here. You've heard me say that many times. We've even preached sermon series around that, that little mission statement, to create an atmosphere where people can become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Well, let me change the wording. It's still the same meaning, but the wording changed a little bit is this. Our mission is to create an atmosphere where people can become disciples of Jesus Christ. All of us are called to be disciples. And if all of us are called to be disciples, then according to this passage of Scripture, all of us are called to go, not stay. You tracking with me? Because sometimes you could think of Zach and Jenny and... Z and J from now on. <laughs> There's some sensitivity issues about the country that they're in. Um, <clears throat> we can think of them and think, yeah, that's kind of like a, a unique, special calling. But this calling is this calling. That's all it is. It's a follower of Jesus Christ saying, hey, I'm, I'm going, whatever you want me to do. We're going to look at a, a verse in chap- Matthew chapter 9. And... Um, This is a passage that probably, again, familiar with some of you, but Jesus has been preaching all day long. He's been performing miracles, healing the sick, doing all kinds of amazing things. And there comes this moment in in the day where he he lifts up his eyes and he looks and he sees something. This is what it says in Matthew 9, 36. When he saw the crowds, when he saw, that's a very important word there, when he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them. Because they were confused and helpless. I'm going to ask you, how's your vision these days? How are you seeing these days? It's easy for us to be so internally focused that all we see is me and me and my own or me and my little world, but Jesus saw the crowds and he was moved with compassion. I wonder if, I always wonder when I read this verse, what, what, was it, what did it look like? You know, I don't have a good mental picture of what Jesus saw. He's ministering all day long. People are following him. Crowds are just coming from villages and all over the place. They're coming to meet this miracle worker. What did it look like? And I have an, an image, actually, because we spent years in Bangladesh. And, and in Bangladesh, there's a lot, a lot of people. And so I have this image, and it probably looks something like this. These are, this is a, 
an annual celebration they have in, in, or every other year celebration they have in Bangladesh called the Bishoistema, where, where six, seven, eight million Muslims come to Bangladesh to, to, uh, to celebrate. There's like a week long of preaching and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, it gets crowded. So you can see the trains up there. Look at that train right there. I mean, it's just people. Are, sometimes it looks literally like you don't see the train. All you see is the people on the train, in the train, holding on to the train. And I wonder that when Jesus said he looked up and he saw the crowds, I wonder if this is what he saw. People that are hungry. People that are hopeless. People that are helpless. He saw them. And it says he was moved with compassion. That word compassion, Splach knows, literally means from the belly. Something just like he sees this and something inside him just starts stirring deeply inside of him. It's not compassion. It's not pity. It's not like he sees it, oh, poor people, and then I just go on to work. No, something inside so stirred him that he was moved to action, ultimately moved to giving his life on the cross and exchanging his life for their life. Do you realize that? Because this looks like so far away, doesn't it, from our reality. We look at this and we're like, eh, yeah, that's some, something somewhere. <laughs> that's how we might feel about it. But do you realize that Jesus exchanged his life for this imam right here? We don't always think that way. He did it for you. You're here in church. You're thankful that he exchanged his life for yours, but he exchanged his life for this guy and that guy and that guy. and these. He saw something, he saw the need, and he was moved with compassion. I've talked about this before. There's this phenomenon called the bystander effect. You've, any of you heard of the bystander effect before? Some of you, a few of you, yeah. It's this idea where you see something, you witness something, but you don't really do anything, you know? Like it's something that has existed like for years, but we're really coming, it's, we know about it now a lot more because of, of you know, cell phones. People take videos and take pictures of it now, you know? My, uh, my, my middle son <clears throat> um, was the victim of, a bystander of the bystander effect once when my oldest son... <laughs> who happens to be sitting pretty close, <laughs> they, they shrink-wrapped him to a chair. He was like 12 years old or something like that. They shrink-wrapped him to a chair, and then they put him out in the front yard of our house in, in, Cal in California, in Huntington Beach, California, and they sent him out there. And so this cars, I mean, we're like this busy road, Newland Avenue, just all these cars running by. So this car pulls up, and he's out there, like just like stuck to this chair in a shrink wrap. And, uh, and this car stops next to him and is like, hey, man, to, told, talking to Josh, hey, man, are, are you okay? And Josh is like, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. He said, do you need help? He said, well, yeah. And then he goes, wait a minute, the two guys in the car, wait a minute, am I on punked? That's what, he's, what, that's what they thought. They were like the show punk. Am I on punked? And Josh is like, no. And, and so he, they pulled their cell phone out, took a picture, and then drove off. 
<laughs> see, that's the bystander effect. You see something and you do nothing about it. Now that's kind of funny. Well, maybe not for Josh. It wasn't. It's funny now for Josh, I guess. But, but an example of a more morbid thing is four years ago in Kansas City, a woman was sexually assaulted in a parking lot. Ten people saw it. Ten people saw it. Two people recorded it on their phone. Nobody called the police. Nobody did anything about it. It's a bystander effect. Now, psychologists may see this, and they, they wouldn't say that the people that are recording it on their phone or seeing it and doing nothing, they wouldn't say that that person's evil. Morally, maybe it's immoral to do that, but they wouldn't say a person's evil. What they would say is that they are actually... It's, it's this phenomenon called the bystander effect. There's a sense of like all these senses hitting our brain and we don't know what to do and we're not sure what to do and so we're like, ah, and we just watch it and it happens and nothing is done about it. Nobody intervenes. So some reasons why the bystander effect happens is there's this assumption that someone else will do something. So you see it happening and you, you know it's terrible but you, you just, you, like you're in a room like this and you see other people around, you're like, well, yeah, I'm sure that they'll do something about it or that person will do something about it. And so we assume that somebody else is gonna do something about it. And what happens, everybody assumes that everybody else is gonna do something and nothing gets done. Nothing happens. And so when it comes to mission, we assume that somebody else will go to the zero zone we assume that somebody else will, with more money will give to that need. Somebody else will preach. Somebody else will, will work with kids. Somebody else will, you know, somebody else will, will go to the places where the sex trafficking is happening and make a difference there. Somebody else will do it. It's the bystander effect. Somebody else, somebody else, somebody else. I see the problem, but I'm sure somebody else is going to deal with the problem. Another reason, of that happen, another reason for the bystander effect is this rationalization that happens, and that is that nothing can be done. Nothing can be done. Like, I see it happening, and maybe it happens so quick that I just, nothing can be done, or maybe it's happening and I'm just not strong enough, I'm not, I'm, I don't have the, the gifts or the, the abilities or the qualifications to do anything about it, so nothing can be done. And you see it, and it's just, it seems like an impossible situation in your mind. You feel like something has to be done, but nothing can be done. And you, you rationalize, you convince yourself, I'm too old. Too old to go to the mission field. I'm too young to go to the mission field. I'm not qualified enough. I don't have the right education. I don't have the right tools. I don't have this. I don't have that. So we rationalize why we can't do anything. Nothing can be done. Eugene Peterson, um, you know, the author of the Message Bible, he, uh, he passed away a couple years ago, but he calls this, this rationalization, he calls it this, this sickness of Afghanistanitis, Afghanistanitis, that, that real opportunities to make a difference in this world are on the other side of the world, in far distant places, in places where I don't have the qualifications to go to, I don't have the skill set to do it, I don't have the ability to do it, so nothing could be done. Certainly somebody else would go and do it. But probably the most common reason why the bystander effect happens is because of fear. 
Um, would you all agree with me that in the last four months there's been a lot of fear <laughs> in the atmosphere? Fear. We are all familiar with fear. We're all very familiar with fear. Sometimes we're just afraid. We're afraid to get involved. I mean, it's messy. It's disruptive. You know, trying to do something about something is just, it's just too much work. I don't feel like I, I maybe, maybe we disqualify ourselves. We say my past is just too messed up for God to use me. I don't have, I don't have what it takes, right? We're just afraid. Sometimes we feel compassion, but we're just afraid. We, 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 know, we know, we see a need, we know something needs to be done, but we look at ourselves and we think, I just don't know if I can do that because, well, how am I going to get taken care of? I mean, if I leave my profession to go meet that need over there, how am I going to get taken care of? If I, or if I walk across the street to talk to my neighbor, well, what if they reject me? Or if I go to my, my, my workplace, in fact, I just got a text from somebody in our church that says, man, Jesus is the answer, but we have these policies in our work that I can't really talk about Jesus. And he went on to say, uh, you know, maybe I need to get fired. And he's the boss. And so these fears come upon us. What if I get fired for talking about this? <clears throat> We're afraid. I like how Jesus ends that, the Great Commission in verse 20. He says, and be sure of this. And be sure of this. <clears throat> What's he talking about? He says, if you go, if you go, you can be confident in this. I will be with you, I, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You can be confident that if you hear my voice saying, now is the time to go, and you go, I am with you. I am with you. I am with you, right? Jesus promises to be with us wherever we go. So why, don't, why, don't, why do we just stand by when, when so much is happening? around the world. We hear of the zero zone and I mean it just it's a it's our heart our heartstrings are pulled and we feel a little compassion but we just uh, somebody else will do it or I'm afraid or I really there's I mean it just seems such a such a man it's such an impossible thing, Zach. I mean how do we possibly do that? In the passage that I began reading in Matthew 9, um, Jesus sees a crowd and it, it brings a response, something, he, he, he gives us a solution. He says in verse 37, 38, he says, he said to his disciples, the harvest is great. How many of you know that the harvest is great right now? Right now, um, people's foundation, individual in America and around the world, but people's foundations, the things that we built our life on are crumbling. Jobs have been lost. Hope that, you know, in America, we would just be so safe and secure. That's crumbling. And more than ever before, I'm hearing this of individuals saying, man, I don't know what to do. I don't know. People who had never considered Christ. Jesus is our only hope. We've talked about that. He goes, the harvest is great, but the workers are few, so pray to the Lord of the harvest. 
Pray to the one who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his harvest field. This is the response that Jesus gives. When he sees a need, how many of you know there's a need out there? Of course there is. When he sees the need, he doesn't shrink back. He doesn't run away. He doesn't say, hey, let's go hide. He doesn't say, let's go do it. No, he sees the need. He says, pray and ask God to send more workers out. That's the response. That's how we should respond. I think sometimes we, we see the need and we don't ask. We don't ask God to send more. We're called to do something. Here's some ways that we, that we can respond to the need. First, we can pray, right? You pray to the Lord of harvest that he'll raise up workers. We need to pray that God will, will, will actually send people from within. I, I really believe this. In fact, I hear some of you that I've had conversations with, you watching online, I've had conversations with about the calling on your life. God is calling you. God's tapping you on the show. Says, God, I want, God is saying, I want you to go. And so we could pray that God will push them over the edge on that. That God will send people out of this congregation to the far flung places of the earth and begin to meet, to begin to meet the needs all around the world, right? So we can pray. We can also send. Romans 10 tells us that if people hear the gospel, they will be saved. Then Paul f- follows it up by saying, but how can they hear unless someone goes? And how can they go unless someone sends them? And so Paul in Romans 10, what he's telling us is that sending is a part of going. Sending is a part of going. And so when somebody in our church congregation says, I feel like God's calling me, like Z and J here, I feel like God's calling, we should be lining up. We should be lining up to say, how can I help you get to where you need to go? Because that really is part of the Great Commission, is to send people out. Sending is a part of going. So we want to be committed to this, right? In fact, we have missions partners all around the world that we are financially sending and we're sending them prayer. We're, in fact, I got, a, I got a message this morning of somebody that we've been working with in Calcutta um, that one of their team members, of, the father contracted COVID and two weeks later, now two weeks later, he's passed away. And our hearts are there. We've been to Calcutta several times. We've had we've four or five trips already there where we work with these people. We know, I know that I, I sat down next to him and had tea with him just a few months ago. We want to send people out. We want to send people out. And that's our goal is to send people out. My goal here at Life Church is that, you know, 25%, I, I've prayed this for years, that 25% of what comes into Life Church would go out to, to missions around the world. And it seems like a lofty goal, you know, it's higher than any church, most churches that I know of. And so I was a prayer that I had, and I started doing some math, and I realized that last year, of everything that came in went out. So we're getting there. Amen. We could clap for that. You guys could. I'm just just thankful. You guys are amazing. Here's here's two ways in how we send. We have our global impact, which you don't really hear about because it's behind the scenes. I don't know if you know this, but if you make the choice to tithe here to Life Church, like you tithe, give a 10% of your income, when that comes in, 10% of that immediately gets cut out and it goes to missions. 
It's how we support missionaries around the world. It's over $100,000 every year. It's global impact. The other way that we send here at Life Church is through Kingdom Builders. In fact, if you've not seen this, I didn't mean this to be like an advertisement for Kingdom Builders, but it is right now. Um, Kingdom Builders, this is our missions accelerating tool. This is how, this is our project guide. We every year choose projects from around the world, significant numbers, and we say we're going to commit to give. So this year's goal is 330,000. Is it right? 330, am I right? <laughs> Let me look real quick. 335,000. I went blank there for a second. Our goal this year is $335,000 for multiple projects around the world. We do this in three different categories, global missions, local church expansion. So right now we're launching a campus in Cedar Rapids. Tonight we're going to have a vision meeting. You know how that happened? Because you gave to Kingdom Builders. That's how we can do that. And then future leaders, where we invest in our youth, we invest in college-age kids, we, we invest in places like the Des Moines Dream Center, where they're working with youth on the streets. You did that. Now, here's what's really cool. If you think about Kingdom Builders right now, doing the math, the last, in the last two years, in the last two years, you have given over, two and a half years, you have given over $600,000 to Kingdom Builders. Amen. And we do that. And right now you're like, well, okay, we're rich. Why are we talking about money? Because we're, we're talking about sending. That's how we send. We raise, and you do that. You're a part of that. And so thank you so much for, I'm just proud of this church for your giving and for your generosity when it comes to kingdom. The last way that we can respond to the need is that we can go. We can go, right? I want Life Church to be known not for its seating capacity, but for its sending capacity. Man, I can't wait. I have a dream of, in this church, of seeing faces that are sitting out there and as God just takes over their lives and they begin to grow in faith and God begins to speak to them, that they raise their hands and say, Lord, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. I can't wait for that to be happening just on a regular basis here at Life Church, where people are just saying, let me go, Pastor Rich. I want to go to Afghanistan. I want to go to India. I want to go to Turkey. I want to go here. I want to go there. You can go. We're all called to go. It's God's will that you go. In fact, can I tell you, I know God's will for your life. You're like, no, you don't. (laughs) I do. I do know God's will for your life. According to Matthew 28, God's will for your life, if you're a disciple of his, is to go. That's God's will for you. It's not God's will for your life, though. It's not God's will for your life for you just day after day, punch the clock, sit next to people you never get to know, never share the gospel with, and they go home and they do that day after day after day. It's not God's will for you to for your ultimate goal to make as much money as you possibly can and then consume it all for yourself. It's not God's will, <clears throat> you know, that your biggest, biggest excitement in a day is that Amazon package that arrives in the mail. It's God's will for us to pray, so pray. Pray for Z and J. Pray for yourself. Pray for that neighbor that you need to speak to. It's God's will for you to send, and so send. Be generous. 
Don't hold back. When missionaries come through, don't hold back. When we start talking about kingdom builders and projects and how they're going to impact the world around, around the place where they're at, how it's going to make an impact in that place, don't sit back and say, somebody else will do it. Somebody else will do it, not me. Or I don't have the means. Send. It's God's will for you to go, so go. Amen? Let's all stand. Listen, the time is now for us. The time is now. There's a harvest field out there. Jesus didn't say, hey, you know what? When you see the harvest field, just wait. Wait a few months. Wait till you finally buy the house that you were really always dreaming about buying. Then, 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 then you can go. Then you could send. Or, or wait till you finally land that job or you finally get that girl or get that guy. If he's tugging at your heart now, the time is now. It's God's will for us to pray, so pray. It's God's will for us to send, so let us send. Let us be the the church that sends the most out. It's God's will for us to go, so let's go, right? For some of you, what the Holy Spirit's tapping you on is, is, you know, going to some other remote part of the world, but others of you, he's just telling you, go across the street to your neighbor. You've lived here for 10 years. You haven't even had a significant conversation with him. Go talk to your neighbor. You sit next to that colleague at work all the time and you never, they barely even know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Talk to your colleague at work. It's God's will for you to go, so let's go. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you, God, for your goodness, your grace, your loving kindness. We thank you, Father, that you are calling us. We hear, we read the Great Commission. We acknowledge that that is not for some other people. That's not for people who have time. That's not for people who, who have the super Christian out here. That's not for, you know, the vocational pastor or evangelist. Father, you are calling us. Us, each and every one of us, we are the disciples whom you are speaking to that day. And you're saying, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Some of us need to do that through prayer. Some of us need to do it by just being generous financially. And there are some in this room, God, that you're tapping, all of us, you're tapping us to go. But there are some you're tapping right now to actually give their lives, to forsake their careers, to forsake their life here in America and go somewhere. Others, you're tapping, Father, and you're saying, hey, I want you to go across the street. And there are some in this room, Father, who might say, I'm just too old. I, I, don't, I don't have, I'm just, I'm, I'm just too old. God, you're speaking to them right now. There are others who might feel like they're too young. There are others who are afraid, Father, that they're, they're, they're not gonna be taken care of. Father, so all of us, Father, we just simply surrender our hearts to you and we say, God, we just commit ourselves to doing whatever you ask us to do. And so if today you're calling me to go, Father, I will go. I raise my hand and I go. In Jesus' name.